0: So, Melinda, um, you said it's going to be eighty where you are today. Um, what's the humidity like? Is the humidity high or is it a little, little bit lower at this point in time?
1: Now, the, the humidity is also low. In fact, uh, the low was sixty-eight, and the locals were all complaining it's too cold. <laughs> <And> it <laughs> so it's um,
0: sounds perfect. But it's, yeah. it's
1: very nice. Yeah, it, yeah. it's uh, sun. Sun comes out, and it is winter here, and this is their winter.
0: Okay. So how long have you been there and how long are you are you staying?
1: Uh, we just got here about four or five days ago. My wife's uh, mother uh, is in a nursing home she's quite old. she's in her mid 90s okay so we come here every year to visit her so we'll be here for about a month okay
0: nice well enjoy travel safe enjoy the weather Thank you. I'm sure it'll be nice and toasty when you get back in southbound. might be up to ten by then <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today, we are joined by Sanjay Malind Agte. Uh, hopefully, I pronounced that correctly. If I didn't, please correct me. Uh, Represented a company called Nimbello uh, up in South Bend, Indiana. Um, guys, why don't, uh, welcome to the Industrious Podcast, first of all, and then why don't you uh, provide a little intro on yourselves?
2: Great. Um, Sanjay Agte, uh, I do business development over at Nimbello. I've been here for about three years. Uh, went to undergrad at IU Kelley School of Business and got my MBA from Notre Dame, but uh, used to live in Boston and Chicago and been back in South Bend for about three years and really love what you all do and, and excited to, to talk more and, and just share what we do.
0: Glad to have another Hoosier on the podcast. Um, ask, Let me ask you this. What high school did you go to in South, did you, did you go to high school in South Bend?
2: I did, yeah. I went to uh, South Bend Clay. Clay. So. Winner of a uh, 1994 state champs in basketball before the uh, the class system, which was a high, and unfortunately this May, or this June is a, a low due to city population. Clay High's closing, so oh really, wow. So it's sad, but all the memorabilia is, is up for sale. So
0: if if you want any, I can I can set <laughs> you me up. Okay, great. So let me ask you this: and I probably know the answer, but what drew you to IU for undergrad? Uh,
2: well, as we'll probably get along, and, and you all probably have seen uh, families. So I've got one older sister, uh, she's three years older, she went to IU, okay. and uh, my father being a tax person and helping pay for tuition, I think in-state tuition helps sell it as well.
0: Of course. <laughs> I have two kids in college right now, and I can completely relate to that. <laughs> one of which is in-state, one of which is out-of-state, and there's a, a stark difference, let me just say that. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Okay, great. Well, welcome.
3: So I, I'm, I'm noticing on the, uh, in the video feed, obviously you've got, you're, you're, flying the flag figuratively and somewhat literally on the Nimbello. What, what is the nautical theme background there?
2: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let Melinda uh, take it and he can kind of put it in, in his intro cause it, it ties t- to him and his, his background. All right.
1: Thank you, Sanjay. Uh, yes, my name is Melinda Dagti. And as Sanjay mentioned, he is, uh, my son, uh, i originally am from india and i came to the u.s about 45 years ago i came and joined notre dame i did my mba there and after i finished which was in the late 70s to put it in perspective joe montana i played for notre dame back then so that dates me a little bit um after that i joined at that time it was a very small CPA firm based in South Bend called Crow Chiswick, Mm -hmm. which is now probably about the fifth or the sixth largest in the country. And uh, just stayed in South Bend thereafter. I I am a CPA by background, and I was a partner at Crow for many years until about 15 years ago I started Nimbello. But uh, to answer your question about the shirt and the flags on Sanjay's uh, shirt, Prior to coming to the US, my previous career was completely different. I was uh, in the merchant navy and uh, worked on cargo ships and oil tankers and everything other than these passenger ships. And I worked there for many, many years and then got married and wanted to have a change of career because staying on a ship is great as long as you're single. It's not very good when you're trying to raise a family. The unfortunate part was the only thing I could do was to steer a ship, and there's not too many jobs ashore with that skill set. So uh, I, I left that, came to Notre Dame. But um, in uh, in the Merchant Navy on, on these big ships that I was on, including massive oil tankers, um, way back before... Radio was invented the way ships communicated with each other was using flags and since the British were the ones who pretty much invented everything. uh, They created a series of flags which represent every letter and every number in the English language and so uh, ships communicated with each other by hoisting three or four or five flags in a code and then the other ship would read it so the shirt that Sanjay is wearing, each of those flags represents that individual letter in the English language. So for those who understand or have been in the merchant Navy, they would be able to read that and wouldn't have to read the word nimbello. They could read the word by looking at the flags.
0: Right. Awesome. Very
3: cool. So Sanjay, what he's saying is that you're just taking his word for it. We don't really know what it
2: says. (laughs) Exactly. In in fact, uh, as... Any person going through the shirt swag game, I, I went to Etsy, found a person, and did it. And I, I did it kind of without uh, telling Millen. So when the shirt came, I, I was really hoping. <laughs> like fingers crossed. Uh, exactly. Uh, luckily, I, I think the person in the shop we went uh, knocked it out of the park. So so we're good on that one.
3: Yeah, uh, I like it. It plays cool. well. Of course, I'm thinking Captain Phillips right now. But uh, maybe because I just watched that movie. Yeah,
0: that's fair. That's well, a good story, though. I like it. Uh, so, Millen, I have to ask. You're at Crow for a while, um, been there for probably, how, how long had you been there before uh, you started Nubello? Uh
1: I was at Crow for 22 years.
0: 22 years. So you're you're pretty yeah. set. You've been there for 22 years. You're a partner. What, you know, kind of like, what what ignites most entrepreneurs? What made you decide to take the leap and take the risk of leaving something that, You've been doing it for twenty-two years. You're probably pretty comfortable and in a good position, and go out and and do this. What 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 need did you see out in the marketplace that you needed to 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 jump to to fulfill?
1: That's a very interesting question. Um, I have always wanted to start something on my own from scratch. Uh, Crow was a partnership. I was a partner, and in, in theory, I was an entrepreneur there and crow was growing very rapidly, but I wanted to do something right from scratch. And it's interesting, uh, I had read a book, uh, and the comment in that was that it was based on something called the center pole theory. And the center pole theory was that if you look at a circus tent, the entire tent is supported by a middle pole, which is the main tent pole, and they said most entrepreneurs at some point just want to knock that pole off, recognizing that the top is going to fall down, but then they build an entirely new you know, tent after that. So that was it. I was in Crow, the tent was massively growing, and but I wanted to build my own tent. And so I took the plunge, which most of my friends told me was about the stupidest thing I could have done because everybody else was trying to get to the position I was in, which was, I was a CPA. I was a partner. It's a little bit like tenure. You, you know, you just stay in there, and the firm was growing rapidly.
0: Right. So I have to ask you, and and I get this answer. Entrepreneurs get asked this question a lot, and the answer tends to be very similar. And that is, when you heard your friends, family, etc., say, "No, that's crazy. Just you know, stay where you're at. You're in a good spot." Did that further motivate you to do it? or did you start second-guessing uh,
1: yourself yeah, at all? Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's about the only thing you don't do. And, and, and actually, this was my second or third attempt at it because initially, I was in the Merchant Navy. I had become a captain, so I'd reached the top there and I was ready to coast. And then I gave all of that up, took all of my savings, came to the U.S., and I remember just before coming here, I got married in my father-in-law, just before we got married, said, um, let me see if I have got this correct, that you worked 10 years here, you finally reached what you wanted to do, which was to become a captain, you are now going to give up that job, go to a different country, take all of your savings, spend it on something, you get a degree. At the end of that time, you will have no job, you will have no money is that correct? I said, that's pretty much correct. And he says, so give me one reason why I should let my daughter marry you. (laughs) And I said, I really don't have a good reason. (laughs) So uh, I came here with that thing and um, most immigrants, when they come here, the one thing that they all have in common is that the safety net is cut. There is no plan B. There is only a plan A. And if there's only a plan A, you work extremely hard to succeed. So to answer your question, when I was doing this, you know you just got to go with your gut feel. You know that you know some things that you're doing are probably wrong, but you have innate sense in your ability to fix everything. And most entrepreneurs, I don't think, have the right answer. It's the only difference between them and everybody else, at least what I have noticed is that you, as soon as you go down the wrong path, you quickly figure out it's the wrong path and, and change. And you do that fast enough before you actually fall off the cliff. So um, you fail many, many times and occasionally you succeed. Yeah, yeah, also, I don't know if I answered your question, but that was, no, that was,
3: that was great. I, I think we could end the podcast now. Sorry, that was perfect. <laughs> um, you know, we we sort of somewhat tongue in cheek, but somewhat seriously dis- define being an entrepreneur as figuring out maybe 80% up front and the other 20% as you go and being comfortable with that and trusting yourself that, as you mentioned, if the 20% or maybe sometimes more, uh, leads you to a down a path that isn't correct. You simply course correct and and move on, and trust yourself to figure it out along the way. Uh, right. Clearly, risk and uh, you know taking that leap of faith and 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 trusting oneself is not uh, a foreign concept to you, as you uh, clearly have done it a few times in your lifetime. Uh, for those listening or viewing. If you were talking to, let's say you're in front of a college class on uh, entrepreneurship and they're asking you, what is what is the number one thing that you would do different and what's the number one thing you you're glad you did? What would those two pieces of advice be?
1: That's a very interesting question. One thing I feel is that, unfortunately, the way the educational system is set up very early in life, you're somewhat forced to make a choice on what career you want to go into. I mean, in high school, you start gravitating towards classes you want to work at. And definitely in college, you pick a major that you think you want to work at. But, you know, at age 18 or even 22, you really have no idea what you're going to be good at. So the one advice I would give people is obviously take whatever you know you think is the right thing there but wait till you're about 28 or 30. And that's when you will have to or you should make a career change. And it could be completely different. But at least at that time, you will be going down a path, you might still fail, but at least you're going down a path that is more relevant to you. So one point being that when you're in college and deciding where to go, tell yourself that yes, I'm I'm going here based on the decision or the facts I have right now, but in the next 10 years or eight years, I am most likely going to change. Because if you don't, you're probably going to get stuck in a job that you don't like, and you're going to be there for the rest of your life.
3: I, it's it's somewhat funny. It's my oldest child is 17, a junior in high school, and so we're just on the front end of the, of the college search process. and. Mm-hmm. He he's constantly asking, you know, if I went to business school, what do business majors do? What are some of the different concentrations? What if I want to go into medicine? How do I? Yeah, you know, he's just sort of throwing a lot of things out there to try and sort out what he thinks he might want to do. And my my wife and I have said to him, you know, it's okay to to think you want to do something now and and, and into college, but just know that it's probably going to change, and then that's okay too.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and and that's the message. It is, you know, do what you want right now, but in the next uh, In fact, Sanjay will probably attest to this. When he was a freshman, his older sister was a senior, and when it was time for him to choose his major, uh, he asked her what major should she choose, and she said, Well, Sanjay, do you have a passion for anything, whether it is music or stone carving or anything? And he said, not really. She said, if you don't have a passion for anything, take accounting. And I'm thinking, hell, I am an accountant, and you're telling my son, if you don't have a passion for anything, take accounting because you'll get a job. And that was true. No offense so, taken, right?
3: Was Okay, so Sanjay turned yeah. the, the, the focus to you. I don't know uh, what how old you were when your father left Crow and, and went out on his own. Uh, but what, what knowing his story and obviously, you know, being raised in that household, how has that rubbed off on you, uh, in terms of your spirit of, of wanting to go out and, and do your thing?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think I was probably in the camp of his, uh, his, his coworkers and maybe even my mom of thinking he's a bit, you know, good. life seemed good. Life life was set and, uh, seeing him, you know, bet on himself. It, you know, I, I think behind the scenes you, you see it and you're like, you, you can kind of respect some betting on, on themselves, but being, you know, 18 years old and having, having life be pretty pushed, that seems pretty easy, right? <laughs> you know, so that, that, that was there, but uh, you know, some of the things Mullen says has, has definitely resonated and what my sister Sneetha said, I did, I had a finance and accounting major, Undergrad at, at IU, graduated. I had two internships with Crow; they were my first job out of college.
0: How did you How did you um, nail that?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think someone on this podcast probably helped, but uh, but but got those. And uh, I was an auditor, and it was great. You know, some of the some of the kids from IU they uh, they worked for the Big Four accounting firms, and you just audited maybe cash at Coca Cola. You know, for for a long time, didn't really get to see much, but. With, with Crow, you were able to talk to, you know, CFOs, CEOs, you know, your parents, people, people running, you know, Xcessa or different businesses in Elkhart, Indiana, and got a good feel feel of that. Um, I think one thing I quickly recognized was I, I probably wasn't the best accountant, though. A lot of times if you uh, you do the year-end audits, you, uh, at the time, uh, the papers were just coming out where you could kind of copy and paste the, the previous year's Excel file. And oftentimes the tax partner and audit partner would come out and uh, say, oh, wow, Sanjay, you you've done a good job, but all these notes seem very similar to last year. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, they they look good. Why why did I need to do any extra work? So so quickly I realized I I probably shouldn't find a a transition path to a a new career, which uh, I then uh, shifted to uh, Groupon early on in in Chicago. um, And that kind of gave me that that love for startups. And, and, you know, I was one of the first, I think, 70 employees. I actually was – Responsible for launching Groupon in Indianapolis, uh, it was it was pretty awesome. So if anyone bought a Groupon back in you know 2009, 2010, it was something that we we put out out there. Um, so I, to answer your question, it you know I, I thought it was probably too risk taking for my liking and <laughs> to set it up. But now uh, seeing it, I I think I, anyone who's interested in betting on themselves, I I'd want to hang out with them.
0: Yeah, and I th- you're quite a bit younger than I am, but you've probably already started to see this with your friends from IU, and that is how many, uh, not just jobs that they may have changed since graduating, but, you know, I have, I have a daughter at IU right now, and they're in their sophomore year, so it's kind of like that weed-out year for a lot of different schools. And I was down there, and, and some of our friends were kind of stressed out, and they're all talking about, like, should they change their major, should they not change their major? And I'm standing there, and I'm like, okay, do I, as a parent – do I tell them, you know, 20 years from now, quite frankly, it might not matter. I don't know if that's the right thing to say or not. But, like, think about how many, peop- how many people you went to school with. And I know I, I can say this. because I've been out for, shoot, 20-plus years. 300 years. That, or 300. Um, how many people are doing something completely opposite from whatever their degree was in? Uh, but to oh. your point, when you were a crow, you're being exposed to a lot of the different clients that they have, a lot of different types of businesses, and so you could probably look back and say, yeah, that that was just not the right job for me. But what did you learn by having that experience that is now helping you determine what you want to do today? Definitely, and
2: it's funny. My eight-year-old son, he jokes, and and my friends used to joke. I, I used to change jobs probably about eighteen every eighteen months or so of, of just. If I got bored, you know, three days in a row, I felt like I should probably find something else, a a different calling. And, you know, at that time, people were still having one job for, you know, 20, 25 years. And, And as LinkedIn came up, people would say, Oh, Sanjay, you're doing something else again now. And uh, finally, uh, and some of the times we're, you know, due to transition or due to financials, but my son always jokes. He said, So, Dad, how many times have you been let go? Or how many times have you changed jobs? And uh, I I think that may have been one of the reasons also leading to uh, to working at Nimbella with my father, seeing if. uh, you know, if I got put it on a pip at, at the family company, there's something really wrong. So, <laughs> so, so this was
0: hopefully a, a, a good good path to have been here now for a while. Yeah. So you, that's a good lead in. Um, we've talked about this before because we've had and we've had our own experience with this. What made you decide to then join the family business? Because that, that, that adds a whole other dynamic. And I've talked to other kids about that and typically will tell them. Um, family guilt is not an answer. You're not allowed to pick that well, one. Well, <laughs> it's an option. There's always not that option, but like I, I'll tell kids if they're coming, let's say they graduate from IU and, and their, their parents have a business and it's available to them to join. If, if I'm ever exposed to that, I will typically tell them, go do something else first, whether it's in the same industry or, or not go somewhere else, get some experience somewhere else. Cause you know, at 22, let's face it, we didn't really know a whole lot. You're gonna make a lot of mistakes, make it on someone else's dime, and just and truly determine is that you what you want to do, etc. Before you before you make that leap, if you make that leap.
2: Yeah, it, I I think you know my wife was was uh, strong and and impactful in helping with it, and every time I did change jobs, you know since Melinda started in Bello, the thought was, would you want to work there? And and you know every time my sister, Nitha and I and our our spouses would come back to South Bend. Uh, Mellon would would say, and my mom would say, Hey, you know, what about, what about, it used to be called easy access, but Hey, what about easy access? Or or Mellon would say, you know, that's, that's dad's thing. He, his love of accounts payable is is probably all one, one family can have, (laughs) right. Uh, you know, the, the, the holidays, Thanksgiving, the volley, it, it was, it was already being talked enough about work. If, if we joined, I don't know if that would, you know, make my mom too thrilled, but, um, you know, working at Groupon and after Groupon, when I was at in Boston, I worked for another startup called HubSpot. Um, and they, they've they done well. They both have, you know, gone public. And each time I would join in a different startup, I, I'd learn different things and, and see them. And every time I'd come back home and kind of talk to my dad of, and other people at the company, of what they were doing. And, you know, it didn't really resonate that it was a startup. It was more of a lifestyle business. So it was just, you know, him, him doing his thing. And, and my most recent job in Chicago was at at Second City, um, the, the the Improv Comedy Club. And, and while I was there, I finished my MBA at Notre Dame and took an entrepreneurship class. And one of the projects basically talked about family businesses and how a lot of entrepreneurs are great, but they also are kind of terrible at succession planning. Um, and I don't know if you've seen that. So, you know, just hearing what my dad's thoughts were for the future or in, in general, I was leaving Second City. I was interviewing at Stripe at the time, and I just thought, you know, bringing a million dollars or or growing a book of business for a massive company would be great. But doing that for a family business and seeing it grow and help them retire earlier was probably a lot more impactful at the time, and kind of jumped on.
0: Cool, Billund. What's what's your version of that story?
1: It's. <laughs> <clears throat> The only difference is, from our side, um, many times my wife and I used to ask um, both our kids and their spouses, you know, we, we're building this, and don't you guys want to come and run it and take it over? And the answer was always, no. That so way they're fine, they're not going to come, at some point we should just, you know, we let it grow as much as it does, and at some point we'll just sell it, and that'll be the end of that. So it was actually, quite a welcome change when Sanjay and and his wife, Kavita, told us that they were going to uh, considering joining us and then subsequently moved from Chicago to South Bend. And uh, that was a huge, huge change. And then about a year and a half ago, with Sanjay's help, we went ahead and did a rebranding of the company, brought in a few outsiders, and um changed the name of the company to Nimbalo and uh you know put the focus into what we wanted to grow and as part of that now my son in law has joined us also. So I guess ultimately we have reached where I wanted us to reach it. <laughs> like anything else it took a long time to get there.
3: So, so I, one I guess- of the
1: consequences of that I, I actually now we've come to India and we're going to be here for like five or six weeks. I and mean, this would not have been possible had I been doing everything on my own. Yep. So uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
3: No, no I, I think the the hard work and and risk that you've taken is obviously paying off into a not only a lifestyle for you and your wife to be able to, to travel and, and see extended family and whatnot, but to then have a legacy that is still – that you're here to see now, but that, you know, will live on, you know, beyond uh, your time and not just in general, but it, that's being taken care of by family has got to, uh, you know, really have a, be a source of pride for you.
1: It, you know, that's a very pertinent point you have made that uh, people have asked me, you know, what exactly do you find most enjoyable about both the business and I would say there are two things. One is I had always wanted to start a business of my own and cause it to grow. So I've done that. But I later realized I think the bigger thing is prior to COVID when everybody used to be sitting in the office, I could walk in and look at those people there and feel that I am providing you know, a job and a lifestyle for most of the people sitting here. And there is a sense of pride that comes from that that it is hard to explain to somebody but it is amazing uh, that you know that you have people here that and a lot of times for example uh, from a purely accounting perspective the work that these folks were doing I could easily have outsourced it to India and I mean we are a technology company but I just felt that instead of doing that, the pleasure it gives me to see 25 people sitting in the office from Indiana, you know, who have a job and are happy with it, is worth the fact that our gross margins are less. And that's the philosophy we've maintained. And it has really, uh, you know, given me sort of the ultimate pleasure that I've wanted out of growing this business.
3: That's, that's wonderful. Um, What... You you mentioned just a bit ago um, the rebrand, and and earlier someone you mentioned uh, easy was it easy access name change to Nimbello. What is the meaning behind Nimbello?
1: (laughs) Actually, nothing. We paid somebody a lot of money to come up with a bunch of names that you know that's a very common answer. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) it (laughs) It sounds very familiar. uh, and about the only thing is that it is a playoff of the word nimble. And we feel that our solution is such that the company can create uh, a customized solution for our clients. And so, but the word itself means nothing.
3: That it, It's funny how many times we have asked people, what does your name mean? And when it's, you know, uh, when it has, you know, when it's not just a straight out of the dictionary name, they say, oh, we just paid some brand consultant a bunch of money to come up with something cool.
1: Like, okay. Well, well, that's uh, answer. <laughs> the, uh, the word easy access, I mean, when I first came up with that word, it was we are a we are a technology company and we were giving you easy access to your invoices. But I do remember shortly after I launched the company I was in a plane coming back and talking to the person next to me and they asked me for the name of my company and I said it and without asking me what the company did, they said, Are you in the pornography business? <laughs> and I said what makes you say that? <laughs> I don't no know point. the name. <laughs> so, uh, I guess uh, Numbello wouldn't be confused for anything like that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Certainly would have provided a lot of marketing opportunity, but that's a, whole, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Numbello. What what, uh, what do you guys do? What's your strong suits and, and who do you serve?
2: Yeah, so we... Uh we're a, a fintech software company in the B two B space, um, SaaS based solution. Uh, our solution is an accounts payable automation solution. So uh, we can work with any any company. And over the past fifteen years, we've got you know companies in various industries. But the the three main industries we do extremely well with are higher education, healthcare, and manufacturing. And uh, when you look at those three industries, the the things that kind of me, keep them in common, keep us in, in common is they, they all have a high invoice volume. So if you're buying more things, you're getting more invoices, right? Uh, the invoice process is pretty antiquated. It's, it's similar to maybe where payroll was about 20 years ago. Um, things are just getting started, right? So the fact that those three industries have high invoice volumes, Means automation can help them. The second is they're antiquated, so they're not early adopters, right? The as Milen said, he's been doing this for you know close to 15 years, and people are now just starting to say, oh, we should maybe automate AP, right? Especially after um, after COVID, right? Um, and then the, the third thing is when you when you buy uh, items, there's usually two types of invoices or two types of ways companies can buy. One is with a, a purchase order, or another one maybe you know the snowplow came. Plowed it through Meridian and, and you just have to pay it, right? No one really placed a purchase order. But on the purchase order side, it's a little bit uh, trickier because you have buyers or procurement um, placing a purchase order. The supplier then sends you the invoice and then accounting has to check with receiving, make sure where all the goods kind of received. And so all that is extremely manual. So companies that have a, a PO-based um, offering, it's much more labor intensive, and so we automate that for them. Um, so th- those are the three main industries, and within that, even I'd say our our best bread and butter, being in, in South Bend, Indiana, is is kind of that manufacturing sector. Um, Northern Indiana, right, with an Alcat, we're pretty fortunate to to have a fair amount of the the RV companies, whether it's the suppliers or the the large ones, uh, be on be on our client roster. We also have Notre Dame, so it's great. In fact. Uh, i was just on a call with um another rv company that in, in the city and i was joking with them that you know we kind of want nimbello to be the uh, the abe froman of uh <laughs> of, of ap right we want to be the ap king of rvs or or at least of
0: indiana right there's got to be some marketing swag behind that somewhere yeah <laughs> i i
2: i went to the same etsy guy <laughs> to see if he could uh do it right, it's just got a king and an RV. Um, and, and we'll see, but it, it, it's great, right? And and the fact that Millen and the team, and, and so going back to the team, right? Our brother in law has come on board. We've had employees who've been with the company for you know 15 years from the start, and and, and right, that we we joke my sister and I that the company was kind of it had elements of succession, the show. Silicon Valley the show and then maybe like a bit of I Love Lucy flair, right? Like the, the first hires were my mom was doing HR interviews, right? We'd we would we would hear stories and we say, I, I don't think this is how most companies operate, but you know, my mom held, held, held the first interviews and, and things of that. But it's uh it's good and, and we we've we've grown, but a lot of the, the clients and customers we've got because we hadn't had a sales team or a marketing team, were just word of mouth referrals, organic and then you know, as they saw what Millen and the team and the software was able to do, if they went to a new job and they didn't have the technology, they, they just reached back out and said, hey, you made our lives a lot easier. Can we do it again?
0: Well, there you go. That's that's yeah. the perfect testimonial right there. What what have you heard from your customers? You have a fairly diverse base between higher ed, healthcare, and manufacturing. Um, and I'm sure there's some even further diversity amongst those sectors, especially manufacturing. What did you hear throughout '23, and what are you hearing going into '24 in terms of either uh, very positive things or maybe some headwinds that they're seeing?
2: Yeah, I think one of the, the common themes again in within RV manufacturing or manufacturing in general, right? They coming out of COVID, they they were growing, you know, they they couldn't keep inventory on stock and if a business is growing in the manufacturing sector, they're either acquiring new companies or buying more supplies. So their invoice volumes grows. They need our software more, right? And and a couple of things they said is it, it's just tough to hire, right? In good times, it's tough to hire good talent. You have to use Indeed. You have to try to find find staff. But, um, you know, whether it's kids coming out of Clay High School or different high schools, it the AP role is traditionally very manual and very, you know, data entry heavy, right? So someone who may have been at the company for 20 years and is, has a great system, likes the role and likes doing it. Uh, somebody who's coming in out of 18 and used to playing, you know, Fortnite or different games, they'll probably leave within an hour if you tell them to open, you know, a hundred emails or paper mails and enter this into a system without technology, right? So, you know, the the hiring challenges they, they've stayed in, and that's whether they're growing or even during tough times to try to replace people. So they're looking to, to automate things there. Uh, another thing we're fortunate in Indiana with, with the readiness grants and, and Connexus and some of those winners, right? You've seen a lot of talk about manufacturing 4.0. Everyone's very focused on automation and, and process improvements. And a lot of it's on the front end, you know, making making the robots, making production faster. But the now owners and CFOs and, and you know, Continuous improvement. People are looking at the back end. How do we make that better? How do we make our lives easier so people can go on PTO and doesn't come back to you know, 200 emails they have to approve.
0: Yeah, and then what role in you know, this? Because that's a whole other snowball topic. But how does AI fit into all that? And uh, I think we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> it's good but, stuff. Uh, I,
2: I think most most is good. And then you know, one thing that when I was reaching out to you and heard one of your other podcasts of other family owned businesses is right. Similar to, to when our family would hear Millen talk about the company succession planning or, or things different, right? So within manufacturing, when new owners are coming on board, whether a private equity shop bought them and they're looking to make, um, you know, revenue adjustments or decreased expenses, or, you know, a second generation owner is coming in, right. We, we've seen the, the early adopters, the, the software companies, they're always looking at the greatest new technologies, right? These manufacturing companies, they're doing it, they're producing great product, but they may be very expensive to switch to a new ERP or accounting system. They're they're just trying to get by with a, a system that is legacy, right? Microsoft may no longer be supporting it. Infor may no longer be supporting it, but their whole business runs on it. And and but the new leadership is looking to make lives easier and looking to so right, 10, 15 years ago, we'll talk to a company, and they say, We'll just put more manpower behind it, or, or you know, we'll just keep stubbing our toe and and you know, white knuckled through it. But now, everyone sees the benefit of technology, and they say, "Okay, well, this is silly. We can't even hire because we've got invoices or files everywhere in the cubicles. We we should automate or digitize this. Can you help us?"
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, that sounds familiar. <laughs> See that look he gave me. I'm <laughs> I'm just, I'm just yeah. saying it in general.
1: What we see is that uh, one of the things COVID showed was that people are now more willing and in some cases forced to allow their staff to work from someplace outside of the office. And in the one area that we are in, which is the processing of an invoice, it is very manual. When the invoice comes in as a piece of paper, most of the Automation, as people call it, is that instead of coming in as a piece of paper, it's now coming in as an email. And then after the email comes in, they print it and then treat it as a piece of paper. And we have basically automated that process and the intent being that the employees of that company, since they have you know a good knowledge about their vendors, their pricing and things like that, use those people for something of greater value to the company, as opposed to opening a email or opening a piece of uh, regular mail, comparing it to a purchase order, and if it's okay, then manually keying it, and if it's not okay, then routing it around. Those are you know things that have to be done because both the customer and the vendor are on two different accounting systems, but it's a very low value And what we have done is we have created, essentially, a way to to do that where our point is that if you have created a purchase order and sent it to your vendor, you are anticipating that they will ship you exactly the quantity that you're ordering at the price you're ordering. And so if when their invoice comes in, there is a way to extract the data from that invoice and compare it to the purchase order. And if everything matches up, nobody needs to touch it. It should go into your accounting system. So that's what we have done is that essentially, an email hits your email box and our system takes over. And one of two things happens, either that invoice matches everything and it magically shows up in your accounting system and then you can pay it whenever you want to. Or the system identifies what is wrong and routes it to somebody to fix. So that's what we do. And uh, what we are finding is that more and more as companies are either growing, they don't want to add people, or if they're not growing, they want to redeploy people to do something of greater value to them, so we actually think that the next three or four years this is you know a greenfield experience where the industry that we're in there is very little competition in that it's like as sanjay mentioned the payroll world 20 years ago where everybody did their payroll today nobody cares about who does your payroll you you just hire someone Well, we are in that stage right now in fact our biggest headwind, if I were to call it, is inertia because everybody pays their invoices. It's just that they are doing it very inefficiently. And when we walk in and tell them, we can automate it so that you know, it goes from your email box to your ERP system. First, they don't believe it so that you got to convince them that, yes, technology is there. And then the second thing is, they yeah, say, so, "Well, it's already working. Why should I fix something that's working? Let me fix something that is broken." So that's really our biggest biggest challenges.
0: Well, congratulations on um, not only creating the product and the and the business, but seeing it grow and and coming to fruition to the, to uh, uh, I guess achieve the 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 vision that you had you know 15 years ago. And I'm sure, as a as a parent, you have not just the gratitude or, or, or pride you have in terms of employing others, but em- employing your own, uh, your own family ha- probably has a uh, special feeling as well.
1: It, it does. In fact, one of the biggest issues is what do they call me? Is it dad <laughs> or is it Millen or is it a combination of the two?
0: Depends on the situation. I'm sure. I mean, we... <laughs> your Highness, exactly. it, Sire, it, it, uh, yes. Your Excellency. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's fun. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, hey guys, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for reaching out, uh, Milland. Uh, safe travels to you. Enjoy the weather, and uh, we'll welcome you back to reality when you get back to South Bend.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's it's a lot of fun, especially talking to people from Indiana who've been through the same thing. It's it's. Uh, a lot of fun to talk to us, other
0: people. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Industrious Podcast. So for wherever you are, wherever you get your podcasts, or if you join us on the Assets YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. If you are on the YouTube channel and you haven't hit the like and subscribe button, hey, why not make it your New Year's, new Year's resolution and just take the two seconds to click on those. We appreciate it. Good luck to everyone in 2024. Remember, new slogan, more in 24, And don't forget, be industrious.